सहनावतो सहनो घनक्तो भगवाच अश्वत्थं प्राहुरव्ययं अश्वत्थं प्राहुरव्ययं छंदांसी श्री भगवान द्लेषेड लॉर्ड सेड अश्वत्थम प्राहु अव्ययम दे सेवल श्री अव्ययम विच इज इनडिक्लाइनेबल इम्पेरिशेबल एंड यस्टडे we discussed oh, okay it's it <laughs> i want to know whether it's there or not uh, we talked about the tree how tree is called vruksham vrukshaha in sanskrit and this word vruksha is derived from the root vrasch in the sense of chedanam in sense of cutting asunder in the sense of felling so vrukshaha is that which can be cut which can be felled so in that sense in as much as the samsara is yesterday we discussed what we call samsara is uh, as far as we are concerned because the whole universe can also be called samsara but primarily that is what we call the ishvara srishti the creation of god but as swami has been explaining not only there is an objective creation there is also a subjective creation a creation one's own individual creation what we may call a superimposition this morning you heard the expression shobhana adhyasa shobhana adhyas adhyas means superimposition shobhanam means something that is desirable pleasurable this looking upon something as desirable looking upon something as a thing is okay but when i look upon that as desirable the desirability is something that i it's my own personal view point because if this was desirable it should have been desirable to everybody but that's not so i find it desirable to me any given thing a given person i find desirable to me at a given time at a given point but that is not so with everybody even i do not always find it desirable at other time or other conditions i may not find it desirable therefore when i look upon a given thing as this is one example desirable adorable beautiful and so forth so mainly something that i want some that which creates in me this desire when i say desirable that which creates in me a desire that i want it i want to experience it i want to enjoy it <coughs> because i look upon that as a source of happiness so looking upon something as a source of happiness so i look upon not only the flower as flower so when i see this flower of course it is creation of god and that's quite right but i look upon this flower as something that is a source of happiness now that is the part that is created by me that is projected by me so this difference we should know ishvara srishti and jeeva srishti 
the creation of Ishvara and the creation of Jiva or individual. As far as we are concerned, that part is samsara. The world is fine, but why project upon the world? That is, I look upon, I look at the world through my own subjective eyes, and I myself divide this world into desirable and undesirable, agreeable, disagreeable, likable, dislikable. This is how I have an opinion about everything. <coughs> it is that part alone which is what we call the jiva srishti or the creation of the individual, which is subjective creation, and that is binding me. That is what binds me with a given thing. Otherwise, I am free to enjoy everything. But today I am not free to enjoy everything. I am free to enjoy only those things which I look upon as desirable. Other things I cannot enjoy. And so it's that part that binds me. When I look upon something as a source of happiness and something else as a source of unhappiness, then automatically the desire to, to acquire and enjoy and experience something that I look upon as a source of happiness and also to get rid of or keep away something that I look upon as a source of unhappiness. And that is what is called bondage. Because these objects of the world, on account of my looking upon them that way, they create in me this desire. And when desire comes, then I am obliged to fulfill the desire. And that's how they bind me, they tie me. This is called the bondage, unseen bondage. This bondage is not of the nature of some ropes, etc. There is no physical bondage at all. This bondage is mainly, essentially, at the level of the mind. <coughs> and as I said, that I look upon something as a source of happiness, or that I look upon something else as a source of unhappiness, both of these are my subjective projections arising on account of not knowing that thing properly. If I knew something as it is, I would know it for what it is, rather than as a source of happiness or unhappiness. And I look upon thing, something as a source of happiness, because I look upon myself as unhappy. And so, when I look up first is, I look upon myself as unhappy. And then I am in search of happiness. And then I look upon something else as a source of happiness. And then I want it. And then I enjoy it. And, and I experience it. And this is how the thing goes on. So this is what is meant by samsara. And if the world were not there, this question would not have been there. For the world also is included in samsara. So Lord Krishna said, this samsara, this constant life of becoming, of gaining, of acquiring, all of this has been going on, avyayam. It is all born of ignorance like this searching for the tenth man, born of ignorance. And it goes on, that's what avyayam. Yeah, unless something is done about it, this will go on and on forever. In the realm of ignorance, it is indestructible, but it can be destroyed by knowledge. <coughs> because there are, on one hand, Lord calls it ashwatham. Ashwatham means people tree. We said yesterday, how people tree is that which there is always some kind of change in motion going on in there. Some movement, some sound, the leaves are always moving, creating some sound. And so that people tree uh, is that which stands for change, constant change. So on one hand, Lord Krishna says the samsara is that which is constantly changing. On the other hand, Lord Krishna says that it is imperishable. Now this is contradictory. That which is changing is naturally in the influence of time, and that is going to perish. But here is what we call pravahanityatvam. It is not that the world is, is imperishable in the sense of changeless, changingly imperishable. 
like pravaha, like the flow of the river. So how the river on one hand constantly changes, at the same time, by way of flow, it always continues. So also the world continues in one form or the other. And if I not settle account with the world, it will keep on creating, it will keep on impacting upon me, and thus creating variety of reactions from me, of, of pleasure and pain, or harsha and shoka, elation, depression, and that is what we call bondage. That I am, that what my next thought will be, or what my next feeling will be, is not something determined by me. What my next feeling will be, whether I'll be happy or not, don't worry about the thought, but whether I'll be happy or not, is not determined by me, but it's determined by the world. This is called bondage. <coughs> so, because of ign- in realm of ignorance, it's called avyayam, imperishable. Now, this tree is very be- very interestingly described. Uzumulam, adashakam, purzumulam. So that which has its roots upward, adashakam, which has branches downward. This is an interesting tree with the roots upward and the branches downward. Nobody has ever seen a tree like that, really. Sometimes you see the tree, you know, sometimes from the mountain slope, the trees are hanging and things like that. You know, some, you may find a tree like that. Perhaps, you know, on the mountain slope, sometimes the tree grows this way. You will find the roots are upward, but that's not what is meant here. It's not meant in a physical sense that the roots are upward, because tree has its roots downward always, and branches upward. That's how the tree normally is. But here Lord Krishna says, this is the tree of samsara having its roots upward. Whereas the word up is not meant in a physical sense, not meant in a sense of spatially upward, with reference to space. But we use this word up and down also in terms of the status. So in terms of the status, in terms of power, a person who who enjoys more power, let's say in an organization, is always said to be higher up. So the orders come from higher up to those who are low, lower down. Even though in a corporate building, the higher-ups may be sitting on the second floor, and the lower downs may be sitting on the fourteenth floor, it's quite possible. And still they say, this is from the order from the higher-up. So there we use this expression up, or the word up, in the sense of the position or the status. So here also where it said, Udhvamulam, that is tree of samsara, this universe, has its root urdhvam, up upwards. Upwards not so much in a sense of space, in a sense of status. Root means the cause, the very essence. <clears throat> that even though we see this whole universe is, is limited, is limited by time, limited by place, constantly changing, perishable, in what they would say in Vedanta, drasht, drasht, nashta it is, it is destroying or it's changing even as we see, and still, its root, its, its source, its cause, its truth is urdhvam, uparivartamanam, that which is so, something that is limitless. So the, the truth or the cause of this world which is limited, is limitless. Urdhvamulam, adhashakam, and from this root which is higher up there, which is limitless, one without a second. You heard this in earlier classes, you know, in earlier camps, let us say. Sadeva somme idamagrasid ekameva didiyam. In Chandogya Upanishad, the teacher is teaching the disciple, says, Hey Shveda Ketu, oh, 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 uh, good looking one, oh, pleasing one. What it means is, uh, somme, oh, pleasing one. 
This universe was before its creation. This universe was Sat, was Brahman, one without a second. And from that Brahman there is one without a second which is limitless, the whole universe has come out. So here we are talking about creation. The cause is, is limitless, the effect is limited. The cause is one, the effect is many. The cause is higher up, the effect is lower. Cause enjoys what we call a higher degree of reality, absolute reality. Whereas the effect enjoys what we call the relative reality. In the Vedantic language we say that the cause is satyam, the effect is mithya. In that sense it is said urdhva mulam. The jagat is mithya. Mithya means it is, it is relative. It enjoys what we call the relative existence, a dependent existence. As every time you hear between the clay and the pot, so how the pot enjoys what we call a, a relative existence. That the pot is because the clay is. And so pot depends upon the clay for its existence. We say that pot has its root in clay, which is a cause. And clay is that which doesn't perish, doesn't get destroyed. Even when the pot gets destroyed, broken down, the clay does not get broken down. So cause is always, cause enjoys a degree of reality higher than the effect. In this case, so, Mrittikayateva Satyam Vacharamham Vikaravanamadhyam. It is said how? This Vikara product, it has a reality no more than just the name. And Mrittika, the cause itself is Satyam of the truth. And so here we are told, that of this universe, which is Mithya, its, its root, meaning the cause, is Brahman, which is Satyam. <coughs> Urdhumulam Adashakam. And the, uh, they describe also the creation of a tree. Now, this creation process also we have discussed in the past. Just for your information here, one of the ways of describing creation is the Sankhya's described. As we said earlier, uh, imagine that I am fast asleep and from that I fully wake up. From state of being fast asleep to the state of being fully awake, one passes through several stages. We may or may not make note of them, but then we pass through several stages. So when I'm fast asleep, I am aware of nothing. I don't know myself, I don't know anything. So that is a state where there is no manifestation at all. It is called avyakta, unmanifested. Even my personality is not manifest at all. My personality, my knowledge, or my memories, my problems, none of them is manifest. The state of deep is called unmanifested avyakta. That's the causal state. And when I get, when I am fully awake, that is the state when I am fully awake, that is the fully effect stage. So from the cause to the effect, several stages take place. When I wake up, first of all I have what we may call a general awareness, just general awareness. And then slowly, I become aware of myself as an individual. Then slowly, I become aware of the things around me, the objects of the world. And then slowly, I become aware of my sense organs, I mean my body and everything else. And thus, this is how the awareness, slowly and slowly we may say, the awareness expands or awareness spreads. 
the awareness becomes manifest. From then manifest, the awareness becomes manifest. So Sankhya has explained, the state of deep sleep is comparable, this is a causal state, it's called avyakta, that's the primordial cause. You may call it maya, they call it prakriti. From that comes a state of what we call a general awareness. Not a particular awareness, just general awareness. That's called mahat, that is called samashti buddhi, the cosmic intelligence, mahat. Then comes the idea of individuality. That's called ahankara, the cosmic ego. From that comes the, the, five, the awareness of the five elements. From there comes the sense organs. From that comes the sense objects, and then comes all the interaction. The elements I become aware of, sense organs I become aware of, sense objects I become aware of, and as soon as I become aware of sense objects, I want this, I don't want this, that thing starts. The actions come, and from the actions then come what? The results. Pleasant and unpleasant. That is samsara. So thus, when I am awake, then I am interacting with the world. And the world consists of objects that are desirable, that are desirable to me, others that are undesirable to me. When I experience those that are desirable, there is experience of pleasure. When there is an experience of those that are undesirable, then the experience is one of pain. So pleasure and pain are the results. So this is how the whole samsara is described. Imagine that causal state called avyakta unmanifest. Imagine that to be root. And from that comes the skandha. Skandha means the main stem, which is the general intelligence called buddhi or mahatattva, cosmic intelligence. And from that comes the, uh, what we call the uh, ahankara. <coughs> and from that comes the sense organs. From that comes the branches in the form of the uh, five elements. From that comes the leaves in the form of the sense objects. From that comes the uh, flowers in the sense of the actions. And from that comes the fruits in the sense of various experiences of pleasure and pain. So you can describe the tree of samsara in this way. <coughs> this also is, a, see in the world that we perceive is called vyakta, is called manifest. Because that is what we perceive through organs of perception. So whatever we are able to experience or perceive through organs of perception is called vyaktam, manifest. And all that we can experience is the manifest world. And the reason why the world or the universe is compared to a tree is that in case of tree also, all we see is a tree, which is manifest to us. But you know very well that when the tree is, there must be roots on which the tree is standing, from which this tree originates. The roots are those which we don't see. So roots are what we call avyakta. Avyakta means unmanifest. Thus, we can infer the existence of the cause from the effect. From the tree, we can infer the existence of the roots. From tree which is manifest, we can infer the cause which is unmanifest. Similarly also, what we perceive is world. World is manifest. From that we can infer, there must be a cause from which the world originates. What is that cause? That cause is called God. And that is why Lord says, Urdhva Mulam. Look, this manifest world which is limited has its cause in Brahman. So Brahman or God is the very cause from which the whole universe has emerged. We should not even say that the universe has emerged from God. 
Because going back to our example of the person who is fast asleep and a person who becomes fully awake, it is not that one thing comes from the other. I who was fully asleep now slowly goes to different stages and becomes fully awake. It is the cause that alone manifests the effect. So also the Lord, alone who is manifest, becomes a manifest as a universe. It is not the tree something different from the cause of the, of the, of the roots. The roots of the cause itself becomes a tree. And similarly also, Brahman or God, that is the cause that itself becomes this universe. <coughs> the cause is one, the effects are many. The cause is satyam, the effects are mitya. The cause is unmanifest, effects are manifest. <coughs> that is all that we have to know, really speaking. Most important is not so much the universe. The important is the root of the universe. If you don't know the root, then all this doesn't make sense at all. If you know the root, then everything makes sense, and then alone it makes sense. That's the reason why our investigation of the universe cannot be complete unless we understand what the root of the universe is. Of course, that's what every scientist is trying to understand also, no doubt about that. But what, Vedanta, what does Vedanta have to say about that? Vedanta says that the root or the cause of this universe is Brahman, which is one without a second, which is limitless, which is a very consciousness, and which is a very self. So that is the cause. And therefore Lord Krishna says, Yastam Vedasa Vedavit. The one who knows this universe along with its cause. That is, the one who knows the universe along with the fact that its cause or its very root or its truth is Brahman the limitless. Veda Veda, he knows everything that there is to know. In between, Lord Krishna also said one thing here, Chandam Siyasya Paranani. Parana means leaf. So this tree of samsara, paranani, the leaves, what are the leaves of this tree? Chandamsi. Chandas means a Veda. Chandamsi, the Vedas, the Vedas are said to be the leaves of this tree of samsara. You know, leaf is, leaves are those which keep the tree going. Chandamsi. That word chandas is derived from the root chad. Chad, chad in, uh, has two meanings in the sense of Pravaranam and Rakshanam. Chad means something that actually con- that covers it and that hides it. So, Chad. Chad means to hide, Chad means to cover. Chandamsi, those things which hide as well as cover. You know what the leaves do? The leaves do two things. First of all, they, they cover the tree. At the same time, they also hide all the defects in the tree. In the tree there can be a lot of hollows and a lot of things in there. There could be snakes, all kinds of things can be there in the tree. All those defects are very well hidden by the leaves. So here Lord Krishna says the Vedas are comparable to the leaves of this tree of the universe. That just as the leaves in a conventional tree, they protect the tree. So without the leaves, at least in India, in this country of course the example does not apply. Because if you remove all the leaves of a tree, the tree will die. Not here, <laughs> in, in, in fall they all, but I guess in, in, when, in let's say right now, suppose in springtime, when the tree is full of leaves, you remove every leaf from the tree. Perhaps it will not survive. Because of the leaves, that 
you, that the tree is able to suck, you know, the sap from the earth. And that's how the tree gets its life on account of the leaves. And so leaves are those which actually sustain the trees, which actually protect the tree. At the same time, they keep the tree going. At the same time, they do not let you see all the defects, all the dangers which may be there in the tree. In terms of, as I said, some animals could be there, some insects could be there, and some holes can be there. In the holes also some snakes and things may be living. All of these are very effectively covered by the leaves. Lord Krishna says, the Vedas are in place of the leaves. What does he mean? Why Vedas are meant? The Karmakanda portion of the Veda. You know, the Veda has two sections. One is Karmakanda, other is Upanishad or Vedanta. Not the Vedanta. Vedanta is what we are talking about. But the Karmakanda portion, which talks about lots of karma. And you know what this Karmakanda portion does is, it, it not only describes lots of karma, lots of kinds of rituals, at the same time, it also tells us, if you perform this ritual, you get this result. You do this, you go to heavens. You do this, you get, a, you get wealth. You do this, you get rains. You do this, you get name and fame. You do this, and you get progeny. Oh, that's how human beings are attracted. Of course, those days of Vedas, these days is something else, all these commercials. I mean, medicine avenue, whatever you call it. The idea is that all these commercials, all this marketing, what does this marketing does is keep on all them tempting me. When I'm tempted at the thing, then I want to have it. I want to enjoy it. And I cannot have it unless I do something about it. I must perform an action because thing doesn't come, uh, you know, just without um, working for it. So in short, it is karma that keeps on. What we call sakama karma, the actions performed with a desire is what the keeps this tree of samsara going. Because if you did not, let us say that you did not perform an action prompted by desire, let us say. Then that is, that is an action that does not bind you, because it doesn't produce any result for you. On the other hand, whenever I perform an action with a desire, then it produces a result. The result can be called by me either pleasant or unpleasant, and it will create in me a reaction or either elation or depression. And if I am happy as a result, then I want the result again. So I perform an action to get it, get more of it. If I am unhappy as a result, then I want to avoid it. That also requires me to perform an action. And therefore, these actions are produced. They create further results. And that is how this trees, the tree keeps on going. That's why I call avyayam. That we will see in the next verse also. Chandams yasya paranani yastam veda sahavedavit the one who knows this tree of samsara along with the root, Vedavit, he is a knower of the Vedas. That means he knows everything. This, often we hear these kind of statements. By knowing one thing, you know everything. In Upanishads we come across this. So they say, by knowing one particle of clay, you know all the vessels and all the pots and pans, all the thing articles made of clay. <coughs> so by knowing the cause, you, material cause, you know the effect. By knowing Brahman, you know the whole universe. That's Yastam Veda Saiveda One who knows the root, tree along with the root, he knows whatever there is to know. <coughs> and by saying that the knowledge of the tree of samsara is praised, see there is two forms of knowledge. Upanishad says, Dve Vidya Vedavya, one must gain these two forms of knowledge, Aparavidya and Paravidya. 
Aparavidya, the, the knowledge of the inferior, and that is the knowledge of the world. The paravidya, the knowledge of superior, that's the knowledge of the root. So knowledge of tree will not be complete unless we know the roots and the seed also. Similarly also the knowledge of universe will not be complete unless we know the root also. And so one who knows this, knows everything. Thereby, thereby praising this knowledge. And that is how enthusing Arjuna to know this. <coughs> In the second verse, some more description of this tree of samsara is given. Adaschordham prasutastasya shakha Adaschordham prasutastasya shakha Gunapravradha vishaya pravalaha Gunapravradha vishaya pravalaha Adaschamulanya nusantatani Adaschamulanya nusantatani Karmanu bandhini manushya loke Karmanu bandhini manushya loke Now just describing the branches of the tree Adascha urdham prasutaha tasya shakaha All this tree of samsara, there are these branches extending upwards and downward Adaha, adha, downward, urdham, upward so this tree of samsara has its branches extending downward and upward and in the middle also. What are these branches? These branches are nothing but the various embodiments. They say in the scriptures that there are 8.4 million varieties of species or embodiments in which a soul can actually transmigrate. So that's the possibility one has. <coughs> one can say that when this fellow departs at the death of this body then he has a whole huge supermarket of all kinds of dresses 84 lakhs of dresses you know how many 8.4 million kinds of dresses are there you can get whatever you want when I go to a shopping center all these kinds of dresses are there in front of me I can pick whatever I want but then which one can I buy depending upon how much money I have in my purse of course <coughs> And so also, when I depart from this body, God has presented before me this 8.4 million varieties of dresses, of these different species embodiments. Which one can I get? Depending upon what kind of money I have, depending upon what kind of wealth I have accumulated, depending upon how much virtue and vice, how much balance is there in my account. How much virtue have I accumulated? Accordingly, I will get that embodiment. And so depending upon what kind of life I will light here, that will determine what kind of a destination will be. If I in this being in it, the point is, a human being can act as he wants. A dog has no freedom. Dog will act only as a dog. A cat will only act as a cat. A rat as a rat. But human being has a choice. He can sometimes act as a cat, sometimes as a rat, sometimes as a monkey, sometimes as a snake, sometimes as a scorpion. So we see human being has all these possibilities and therefore depending upon how I have led my life. That choice I have, a scorpion doesn't have a choice being other than a scorpion, but I have a choice. 
if I lived like a scorpion, stinging all the time, the next time I become a scorpion. I'm all the time like a snake, you know, stinging like a snake, barking all the time, I can become a dog, and whatever. And of course, helping people all the time, I can also live as a god. Human being can live as a human being. Human being also can live the life of God. Then he can become God also. So there are so many categories up there and so many categories down there. And of course, in the middle is a human being. So this down and up always reference to the middle, which is a human being. And thus, Adhas Chorgham Prasurdas Tasya Shakaha these, the branches of this tree are spread downwards and upwards. Gunapravuddhaha vishayapravaraha Gunapravuddhaha strengthened by the gunas. In the 14th chapter we discuss the gunas Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. So this is what makes up my disposition Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. A person is Sattvic, person is Rajas, person is Tamas depending upon which guna, which disposition is predominant. A person in whom the sattva is predominant is a very kind, giving, loving, charitable person. A, a, a godly person. A person in whom rajas is predominant is a person who will both the, the punya and virtue and vice in his life. A life of bhoga, little bit, sometimes yoga also, a combination of the two. A person who is tamas, with tamoguna is predominant, is a person having very base tendencies, very base attitudes. And so guna pravruddhaha, these embodiments that we get are directly, they all can be classified as either sattvic, rajas or tamas. So embodiments which are higher than the human beings, like the embodiments of the gods, they have predominance of sattva. And there are other categories. All the way up to Brahma you can become, Hiranyagarbha you can become, which is totally sattvic, essentially sattvic. And bet- between human beings and that, there are so many categories. You can be Gandharva and Kinvara and Yaksha and Pitrus and whatnot. And human being has sort of a, a combination of both, you know, sattva and rajas. And tamas, all are there. And as you go down, the tamas keeps on increasing and increasing. Going up, sattva increases. Going down, tamas increases. In between, the rajas and tamas both are there. Guna pravardhaha. Each one of these embodiments is that which is strengthened by this guna, sattva, rajas, tamas. Vishaya pravaraha. The new and new shoots are coming up. That are vishaya, the sense objects. Sense objects of pleasure. As we just said here, the world is the Shabda, Sparsha, Rupa, Rasaganda, the sound and the touch and the taste and the smell and the, you know, the, uh, the, the color and all these objects are there. All the time tempting, all the time creating reaction in me. So what happens today is the objects or the things in the world, objects include other people and everything. So they today create in me some kind of a reaction, in response. So whenever I come in contact with something, there is one response. Either I like it or I do not like it. So today my relationship with the objects and things of the world is characterized by what we call raga and dvesha, likes and dislikes, attachment and aversion. And therefore you to see, if there is a hidden camera, all the time, you know, 
focused upon my face. And if that camera could take the picture of my face, every time I come in contact with different people, it would be a very interesting thing, you know. Depending upon who I come in contact, my expressions will change. <sighs> you know, you have to hear sometimes the people. Every, every time I say this, I remember one of the uh, managers we are in some ashram someplace. And so manager is a very important person, no, and he has to talk to different kinds of people. Devotees are there, customers are there, suppliers are there, trustees are there, swamis are there, you know. And this person was somewhat rather rough and harsh, you know, and then... Uh, so generally, yeah, who is speaking? Who is there? That's how he will normally begin. When he picks up the telephone, yes, who is talking? Then next sentence will be interesting. All of this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When he says, then you know that there is a trustee on the other end. Who is on the other end? You can see from the way he talks from this end, you know. Because everybody invokes from a different kind of response. Certain people invoke the response when he's happy. Some people invoke the response when he's unhappy. Some people make him angry. Some people make him... There are different kinds of, you know, different emotions that are invoked. Similarly, all the world, objects of the world create, invoke different kinds of emotions on, from me, and thus I react differently. And all these emotions can be classified as raga and dvesha, likes and dislikes, attachment and aversion. And who both of them create in me a desire. When I like something, there is a desire to have it, keep it, experience it, enjoy it, contact it. When I dislike something, I want to keep it away, I want to avoid. And both of these call for action. So, Raga Dvesha, they create in me the desires, and desires again create actions. Actions are successful or unsuccessful. Action is successful, I'm happy. Unsuccessful, unhappy. So again, a reaction of happiness, unhappiness. That again creates Raga and Dvesha. That again creates a desire, that again creates action, and that's how this whole chain is going on. That's why Lord Krishna said, the tree is avayam, imperishable. So Lord Krishna says, adascha mulani, anusantatani. The main root is there, then secondary roots are coming. Adascha mulani, anusantatani, and the roots which are followed by actions. So there are the secondary roots. The primary root is no doubt, we said, ignorance is the primary root. Avyaktam, the maya, the ignorance, the primary root from which the whole samsara comes. From the ignorance, the secondary roots come. The ignorance creates in me a sense of limitation. The limitation can, can, you know, creates in me a sense of insecurity and happiness. That creates in me these attachments and aversions. And those in turn create in me the actions. And they create again the result. You see, see the whole chain you have to see. How this samsara goes on, you know, we can just trace it like this. Call it avyakta, which is unmanifest, or the maya or ignorance. Then that creates 
So, this ignorance creates a sense of individuality, ego. Because of ignorance, there is identification with the, with the body-mind complex. That creates in me a sense of I or ego, individuality, smallness. That creates in me a desire. smallness, a sense of limitation, like something that I cannot stand, and therefore there is a desire to become free from the sense of limitation, free from sense of smallness. Now this creates a projection. First, because of ignorance arises projection upon the self, because of which I look upon myself as a limited being or small, and that creates a desire to become free from that smallness, and that creates projection upon the world, when I look upon the world as a source of happiness. You can call it desire or call it urge, whatever. Likes and dislikes, those which look are the source of happiness, likes for them, those which I look upon as source of unhappiness, dislike for them, that creates a desire. When I like something, desire to acquire. When I dislike something, desire to get rid of. From that comes action. Because desire I cannot live with, I must do something about it. So comes action. Action creates the result or reaction. Naturally, action is going to create the result. What karma is going to create karma phala? That creates reaction. What? Reaction of likes and dislikes. So this is how it goes. Likes and dislikes, they create desire to acquire
to acquire or give up, that creates action, that creates result, that creates reaction of likes and dislikes. So you can see this is called the loop, you know, and that's how it goes on. And that's why if Lord Krishna says that this whole process is just imperishable in the sense that it's unending, not called imperishable, but unending process. Unless we recognize what is happening to us. That's what it is saying. Now this, all these reactions will go on from one life to the other naturally. Because even when I, I'm dancing for likes and tendency to project. So I'm born with tendency to project upon myself that I'm born, I'm, I'm immortal, I'm ignorant, I'm small, I'm helpless. Again, tendency to look upon the world as source of security, source of happiness. Just likes and dislikes, desires, perform variety of actions, reproduce results, reproduce further reactions, success or failure, again likes and dislikes. And you see, every time I can't be, when I perform actions, very often my emotions take over me. Sometimes I may be too much attracted, too much repairing, and sometimes I cannot dot every I and cross every T. I might perhaps take liberty. You know, and I might do things that are not right, that is adharma. So my actions will be of the nature of dharma and adharma, you know. Or virtue. This is unhappiness. Happiness creates raga, likes. Unhappiness creates dislike. And that's how it goes on. <coughs> so there are secondary roots. Primary root is right here. This is the primary root. And from there, this and then these second roots keep on going further and further. They keep on creating more and more branches, more and more shoes. And that's how this people see this tree of samsara perpetuates this ever perpetuating thing. Of course, what happens is when I take birth in other species, other embodiments, I don't have freedom to perform new actions. There only I just keep on exhausting. When I reach a certain balance of power, punya, virtue and right, again I come back to human being. Again I start this. Again I accumulate some virtues and right, I go to different embodiments, spend those things. Other embodiments are only spending places. Either prison where I spend something, you know, in terms of whatever, or it can be holiday home. So, virtue takes me to holiday home where I spend away my virtues. My vicious actions take me to what you call prisons and places like that where I spend away those things. In those lower embodiments, again I come back. Again I accumulate. And that's how this life is going on. So, this is a description of samsara. Understand? There's nothing wrong with world. What creates all pain and unhappiness and all these perpetual motion is this original root, ignorance. Ignorant from ignorance, this adhyasa. So they call it adhyasa. This they call avarana. Just for some of those avarana. Adhyasa, superimposition, and from that, this one superimposition, a series of superimpositions, and thus, this is a subject, subjectivity starts from here, 
and thus I live in subjectivity all the time. <coughs> so this is a description. What for is it given? So Lord Krishna says that in the next verse, in the third verse, Narupamasya hatathopalabhyate Narupamasya hatathopalabhyate Nanto na chadar na chasampratishtha Nanto na chadar na chasampratishtha Ashvatthamenam suvirudhamulam Ashvatthamenam suvirudhamulam Asanga shastrena drudhena chitva Narupam asseha tatha upalabhyade Of this samsara, its form is not perceived here in this way. You don't really... The idea is that our life is described in the form of a tree. Some kind of a description is given. But when we describe it, sometimes it appears to be very real. So Lord Krishna says, there is no way that you can actually categorize a thing to be such and such. Narupam, we of this samsara, of the world, not only of the world, but samsara includes both the objective creation and subjective creation. And as we what say, what causes me sorrow or unhappiness is my subjective creation. For which there is no reason. Swami, why is there is maya? Where did it come from? Why should it be there? Why should ignorance be there? I don't know. Why should projection be there? I don't know. If you knew that, then of course it would not be there, understand? If ignorance, why is ignorance there? If you knew that ignorance would not be there, is it not so? This tenth man, you know, this fellow is searching for the time. Why? How come he doesn't know his tenth man? <laughs> I am searching for my, you know, the bunch of key which is in my pocket, searching for everywhere, you know. How come you are doing that? I don't know. Sometimes this mala is right in my neck and I am looking for it everywhere. Not unusual. Because your mind is elsewhere, you know, and therefore you just don't see what is obvious. Why? I don't know. Why do you spend so many fifteen minutes looking for something which is already there? I don't know. Ignorance is that which has no reason, no cause. Ignorance is the cause of everything. But what is its cause? There is no cause. If that is the cause, of course, then it will become real. Understand Maya, that is called Maya, which cannot be explained. That it's a cause cannot be explained. How can there be Maya? Swamiji, when Brahman is of the nature of knowledge and consciousness and light and mind, how can there be ignorance? <coughs> and this question is baffling everybody. Vedantin says it is that is why we call it Maya. Then the name for ignorance is Maya, that something for which there is no explanation. Vedantins are very humble people. They don't claim that we can explain everything. Afterwards we can explain everything. This we can't explain. Once then everything is fine. Then we have no problem with science, no problem with anything. But fundamentally, how can there be creation? Really, it doesn't make any sense. Why should this be there for me? Why should God do this? Why should He create us and then, you know, we, why, why has God created the world? Well, He has created some kind of a, uh, what do you call it, a puzzle-like thing, you know, for us to solve it. A riddle. He has sent us with a riddle for us to solve Why should I do that? 
Why were we not born enlightened? But if I am enlightened, there will be no birth. Birth can be there only for an ignorant person because birth means there is an agenda and only ignorant person agenda. One who is enlightened is no agenda at all because he knows himself to do whatever he wants. So why is this whole thing there? It is there. That's all we can say. It cannot be explained. However, it can be explained also. A Vedantin can easily ask a question. You ask him, why is this world there? He will say, which world are you talking about? What world? Where is it? You can't even prove that the world is there because for some, you know, it's like they're asking that, why is that snake there? In the rope snake example. Which snake you're talking about? Where is it? I don't see it. The snake can be said to be there if everybody sees it, understand? And this is a rope snake example, not a real snake, but a rope snake example, that what is lying there is rope and I somehow have a delusion of snake. And then you keep asking me, why is the snake there? How did it, st- why did it sting me? Now this fellow stepped over that snake and he was stung by that and he's suffering with, from pain. Why did a snake sting me? Why should there be pain? I don't know. The next question is, that is to comfort him, we say, I don't know. But really speaking, to confront him, we'll say, which snake you're talking about? Where is the snake? But I'm not saying that, because that is, uh, you'll say, that is, that statement is, you know, uh, Swami, you mean that, you about this world you're asking? Where is it? It's right there. Right where? You see, we have a often experience of dream, of course. In the dream also this kind of a conversation can take place. Imagine. It can take place. In dream also this kind of satsang can take place. And somebody can ask this question, Swami, where did all this come from? In the dream, maybe I borrowed a hundred dollars from you, you know, and the next morning you catch hold of me, and say, Swamiji, where, where are the hundred dollars? Which hundred dollars are you talking about? In your dream, I borrowed a hundred dollars from you, and next morning you ask me, which hundred dollars are you talking about? So when we really come to know the reality of the universe, these questions will not be there. Or this question, why, is only relevant with reference to something that is real. There cannot be question why with reference to something that is imaginary. That is projection. But today this is so solid, so tangible and so forth. If I say that this is imagination or mitya, it won't make sense at all. Therefore, all this description is given how and why. But when it comes to original cause, ignorance or maya, why is it there? It is there. Where is it? Where did it come from? Only thing we have to say is it came from Brahman. But look at Brahman, there is no Maya. Look at Maya, Brahman is there. Look at Brahman, there is no Maya. <coughs> Nobody can determine what is the Rupa, what's the nature of the samsara. Nobody can determine. If a scientist can determine, we'll have to close down this book. Really? This verse will be wrong. If tomorrow or after hundred years or million years after that, if somebody can tell us that this is how the root cause of the world is, that this is the fundamental mathematical equation that can explain the world, if they can say that, then we have to question Lord Krishna. But nobody can tell us. As the other day, this person asked me, Swamiji, what is the mathematical relationship between the rope and the snake? There is no relationship. There would be relationship if there was a real snake, yes. 
There's no relationship. Therefore, whatever is the reality of the rope, in the rope snake example, is similar to the reality of this universe. And therefore, there cannot be any finality about it. There is a sutra in Brahma Sutra. Tarko apradeshtaha. Oh, this is saying generally. The tarka, as far as reasoning is concerned, it has no pradeshta, it has no finality. You can never arrive at the truth by reason. This is, the, this is what the sages have said. What a scientist is trying, which is rightly he's trying, and he's, that's how he should try also, he is trying to arrive at the truth by reason. Our sages have said, you can never arrive at the truth by reason. The only way to learn about the truth is only from the scriptures. Then it makes sense. It is not the product, it is reasonable, but not the product of reason. Understand the difference. What the scriptures say is reasonable in keeping with the reason, but not a product of the reason. What my eyes reveal is in keeping with the reason, but not a product of the reason. Whatever Pramana says, always it says, this Pramana means eyes tell me this is red. But why is it red? Why should I say that this is red? Because it is red. How do you say that? Because eyes tell me. And so, similarly also, for knowing the truth, we say that the scriptures are the Pramanam, and the truth is that this world is Mithya, that's a reality. And when the Mithya is there, Satyam must be there. Brahman is Satyam, that's Urbhumulam. So, cause is Urbham, Uparivartamanam, Utkrushtam, Satyam, absolute, limitless. The effect is mithya, changing, relative, perishable. So for the mithya, narupamasthehatathopalabhyade, you cannot determine what is its form, what is the nature of this thing. Nanto anachadir natasampratishtha. There is no antaha. When will this come to an end, Swamiji? When did it all begin? There is another question. But when did this begin? But before it all began, what was there? There is no Adihi. This word Adihi, there is no beginning. There is no beginning. When will it end? Antaha, it will never end also. This will go on. Natya Sampratishta. Where is the middle? There is no middle. Middle can be there when you know the beginning and the end. There is no middle also. Middle means what it is now also cannot be determined. Why are you told? Why are we told all these things? So Lord Krishna says, you know, forget about this. If you think that you can determine the beginning and end and the middle and the truth, you cannot. So stop struggling with this. Stop struggling with it and then go to the cause. Stop struggling with that which is mithya or that which cannot be determined and rather than that, go to the very root cause which is satyam. That's the purpose of describing this tree of samsara. Ashvatthamenam Suvirudhamulam, in this manner, this Ashwatham, this tree of samsara, the people tree, Suvirudhamulam, its roots are well developed, roots are deep and well developed. So, in the realm of ignorance, as you said, every time this loop happens, the roots keep on spreading further, and this is going on not from this lifetime, it is going on from the time beginningless. You imagine how far the roots must have spread. This people tree is like that. Nobody plants this people tree close to their house. You should not do that. It is it's a, it's a, it's a holy tree, by the way. We told about people yesterday that very often people believe that there is a ghost. Ghost lives on the tree because it makes that kind of a sound. Nobody goes there at night. At the same time, the tree is worshipped also. 
it is said that the Brahma is in the root of the tree, and Vishnu is in the middle of the tree, and Rudra is in the top of the tree, and so uh, women worship that tree also when they want progeny and they go around and you know, you've seen. Otherwise also the tree is worshipped. It's a holy uh, ficus tree. Ficus, ficus religiosa they call it. It's a holy tree. But then you better keep it away. You know why? Because its roots, they just go spread. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet. And just because it is a holy tree, therefore you plant it close to your house, it will break open, you know, it will get into the, the, the foundations. And crack, create cracks. Because that's how the roots are, they keep spreading. Souls of samsara, history of samsara, has its root well developed and very much spread. This is how the, up to this point, these two and a half verses are the description of the tree of samsara. Two and three quarters of the verses. Then what we should do is what follows from here. We'll discuss that in the afternoon. Om Puranamadav Puranamidam Puranat Puranamudachade Puranasya Puranamadaya Puranameva Vashishade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashakrutau Vande Bhagavanta Punapunaha Ishvara Guru Ratmevi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyomavadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om